0: Uh, I feel like I was kind of typecast for this a little bit, like, like they're like they're looking through the pastoral staff and they're looking at like Ronnie and Barbie and Allen and James, the youth pastor, and then they're like, and then they get to Justin and they're like, yeah, yeah, definitely train wreck of a life. Let's do it, right? <laughs> Who can we get to talk about addiction? So typecasted in this man, but but it's cool, super cool. Uh, i 'm very honored to be here and share with you guys this morning I honestly honestly, I could probably do a one hour teaching for the next six weeks on addiction and the nuances and everything that 's involved and so we don 't have six hours and six weeks to do it so i 've been praying about god what what do I share in this message what can i what can I share? What word do you have for your people in regards to addiction? And so I feel like that where we're going today um, transcends uh, what we normally think about when we think about addiction. And we're going to be talking about the battlefield today. So uh, let's just go ahead. I got a lot of information. I'm old school. I got a pad that I wrote with a pen in uh, right here with notes. And I've got this so I don't stray too far from this podium. Um, and I've got a lot of info in here I want to share with you guys. So let's go ahead and let's pray, and let's just ask God to have his way in this place. God, we thank you so much for this day. God, I am grateful for the opportunity to share about your goodness, Lord God. I pray that you would shed a light on uh, what the enemy is trying to do to us, Lord God. I pray that you would uh, reveal your truth to us, um, that we would be encouraged, that we would that we'd be convicted in areas we need conviction, Lord God, that we would rise up and, and walk and hide ourselves under your wings, Lord God. We're trusting in you uh, for deliverance, for freedom. Uh, Lord God, we're trusting that you will show us the way and that you will continue to fight for us and show us ways that we can fight in this battle as well. Father, we love you. I thank you and I bless you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. So if you're here today, I'm going to go ahead and let you know you are in a battle. You are in a battle. Some of you know you are in a battle and some of us don't have a clue that we're in a battle. But that doesn't change the fact that we are, in fact, in a battle. In a battle. And it's worth reminding you of the Bible verse that Kevin spoke about last week. He said um, in Ephesians chapter six, verse twelve. Some of you have these things right here. Some of you have these. It's a book in the back. If you got it on the phone, make sure you close out all other apps, no Facebook notifications, put it on airplane mode, and then get in that Bible app. Okay? And turn to Ephesians chapter six, verse twelve. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So Paul tells us there is in fact a battle going on, but I think that most of our problem is we don't see where the battle is being fought and it's hard for us to even understand there's a battle, much less fight it. It would be so much easier for me If every morning James Jansen was standing outside my front door, squared up, ready to fight, every morning I walk out the front door and James is like, What's up, man? You ready? You ready? Right? Because then I could study James's move. I can know he drops his left a lot, or I know he's been working out with me, so his knees aren't the best, right? So then I can be like strategic with what I do. I'm right. So, like kick to the knee, punch to the gut. He's going to drop his hands, boom, boom. But because I can't see the battle going on, I'm often unaware that I'm taking hits and I'm taking licks because I don't see it. It'd be much easier if I could see the battle going on. So we're here to talk about addiction. We're here to talk about addiction, though. So, so what is addiction? I'm going to give you a couple of definitions. I don't have a PowerPoint. You just got to listen and retain it, okay? <laughs> you didn't have PowerPoints in school. You had one little chalkboard, or whiteboard, okay? And you had to take notes. Everybody must have forgot about taking notes, man. Dana's got her pad out. Thank you, Dana. Your husband better not try to come fight me tomorrow. And he's got strong knees in case you don't want to try him, okay? <laughs> um, so what is addiction? Uh, addiction there, I'm going to give you a, the book definition. It says that um, an inability to stop using a substance or engaging in a behavior even though it is causing psychological and physical harm. I'll say that again. It's an inability to stop using a substance or engaging in a behavior even though it is causing psychological and physical harm. So the consequences vary greatly depending on what the substance or the behavior is. And there's a lot of people in here that have an addiction this morning. A lot of people in here struggle with addiction, right? Some of you are addicted to coffee. Straight up, my wife will tell you. She's like, I'll tell you straight up I'm addicted. If you don't think you're addicted to coffee, stop drinking it. You're going to get a headache. You're going to be irritable. That's called withdrawal. You're going through withdrawals. Now, that's not gonna be the same withdrawals if you're addicted to heroin, okay? Totally different, but it's still an addiction. Some of us are addicted to cell phone usage. You think you're little, you wanna do a little test? Just a little test, home test, right? When you get home, get home, okay? Right? When you get home today, throw your phone in a shoebox and don't go back till about 10 p.m. tonight. You'll be in a panic. What if somebody needs me? What if they're trying to get a hold of me? What if Kevin's got a flat tire? Right, My wife went to the grocery store. What if they don't have what I need? And she calls me, right? Be in a panic. For real. Forget your phone at home next time you go out. You don't know what to do, right? Let, be out and let somebody go to the bathroom and see how fast you whip your phone out. What? Do we even remember how to be bored anymore? Right? Serious. Let's just check my notifications, people trying to get a hold of me, right? I want to I go ahead and tell you also that misuse is different from addiction. You can misuse something and it not be addiction, okay? You can go out and you can misuse alcohol and not be addicted to alcohol. But let me tell you, the more that you misuse something, the easier and the greater propensity you have to become addicted to said thing, Okay? The American Society of Addiction Medicine defines addiction as a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, your environment, and an individual's life experience. Basically, it's a medical way of saying it's complicated and we don't really know How everything fits together. But we know some of it is your family history. Some of it is what's happened to you and what you've done to others. Some of it's the people you're hanging around. Some of it's in your brain circuits, which basically said it's in your thought life. And while I do agree that addiction is extremely nuanced, I don't agree that it's a disease. The spiritual word for addiction is bondage. Bondage, And so we're not here to talk about all of the ways that you might have become addicted to something. We're here to talk about bondage and the battlefield and talk about sin. The enemy is real. His tactics are subtle. And this is a war. To quote Sun Tzu... In his book, The Art of War, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every single battle. The enemy is at work, and he has tactics. And we're going to talk about these tactics this morning. But we're also going to talk about the main arena where we fight this battle. And the main arena we fight this battle is in our minds. It's in our minds, okay? We are made up of mind, body, and spirit. My flesh, my body, it, it is spring-loaded to what, is, what Justin wants to do. What Justin wants to say? What is pleasing to Justin? What does Justin want to watch? How do I want to live my life? And because I'm born of the Spirit of God, my spirit craves kingdom. It is after heavenly things. And somewhere in the middle is this guy called my brain, my mind. That's going, all right, what do I do? Which one of these do I go with? And every time that I align my thought life with what my flesh wants, it's a two-on-one battle against what my spirit wants. And every time I align my mind and my thought life with my spirit, it's a two-on-one battle against my flesh. Mind, body, and spirit. Watch nee said, The mind suffers the onslaught of the powers of darkness more than any other organ of the whole man. Do you know that uh, the humans, people, we're, I think there's no other human. There's no other human. Dang, I just said something so stupid on stage. <laughs> Let's just have a moment of silence for my ego for a sec. Did you forget already? Humans, we're the only species. That's it. There's other species. We have the ability to think about what we're thinking about. Did you know that? We're the only ones that can think about what we're thinking about. God gave us that ability for a reason because there are a lot of things that go on in our thought life. The goal of the enemy is to render you useless and ineffective for the kingdom of God, and he will do it by any means necessary. You ever see a movie where somebody will kidnap a kid? I know it's probably not the best example. Or they'll try to do something to a family member or somebody you care about to get back at you, right? Nobody, am I only one that watches movies? Maybe I should repent. He's, he's back. Maybe it's like a PG-13. I don't know. I'm 38, like. Doesn't have to be an R movie, but you know what I'm talking about, right? They, they will do something to a person to try to get back at you. We are the pawns in the enemy's game, and he's really, his war is against heaven, and he will destroy your life as a way to war against God and render you ineffective, and he does it through bondage, also known as addiction, which a lot of things will flow out of that too. Did you know that 21% of all crime are related to drug and alcohol addictions or gambling addictions? 21% of all crime and nearly 100% of thefts, robberies, and and, and things like forgeries are all related to addictions. The enemy is looking to establish strongholds in your life establish strongholds in our minds, and there's a difference between a foothold that he will use and a stronghold. Uh, Do we have any rock climbers in here in Middle Tennessee? Are there even any places to rock climb other than the so? Okay, all right, we have one. Y'all give it up, right? She's got great fingertip strength, all right, right? R- If you ask a rock climber what a foothold is, they will say any place they can get their toe or foot securely is a base that they use to advance up the wall. The foothold is not the goal. It's a place that they can use to get up and over the wall. The enemy will use footholds in our lives, right, misusing things as a way to advance up and over the wall. The goal is to create mental strongholds in your life. A stronghold was like a, um, a fortified position. So you imagine you got this castle wall, and then you have this tower that's in it. That's the stronghold, okay? So even if the wall was breached, the, the stronghold could be defended with relatively few men. It's got like a small little pillbox at the top where they would sling out arrows and dust people off. You know what I'm talking about? Because they're down on the bottom. That's how you got to shoot when people are at the bottom. But, but, y'all don't know, because you don't watch movies, especially PG-13 movies. <laughs> if you watch movies, you'd know. Um, for real. <laughs> but, 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 if the stronghold was taken over, the whole city would fall. The whole city would fall. So the stronghold was a strategic place where they could use to defend Now, flip that around and think about how the enemy is trying to create strongholds in my mind. That's a place that no matter how many people come against it, it's easy to defend. It's easier to defend. And Satan uses three main tactics. I'm going to give you these tactics this morning, Dave. Three main tactics in this battle. Temptation, persistence, and compromise. I have seen these three tactics play out in so many lives, especially my own, as it relates to addiction, bondage, and strongholds. Let me tell you guys this. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to get addicted to alcohol today. You know what? I'm just going to get strung out on meth today. You know what? I'll probably just gamble my mortgage away. How about that? Cool? Nobody wakes up and cheats on their husband. That's not how it happens. There are small, often petty happenings that lead us to destruction one step at a time. The book of James, uh, in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he writes, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So let me stop right there, right? Temptation for Alan is a different temptation than it is for me. And the enemy is not gonna tempt you with things you're not tempted with. Like, I'm not tempted to go up there and jump off the balcony. Like, that's not a temptation. I'm not tempted to eat a bucket of concrete. You know what I mean? That's not a realistic temptation, right? But I am tempted to take control of my life from time to time. This is my bus stop, God. I know where I'm at. Anybody ever said to themselves, I got this, I got this, thank you so much. Then he goes on and says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. This verse in James tells us there are actual steps to sin and steps to bondage. It says, each person is drawn away and lured when he is enticed by his own desire. What is pleasing to you? I'm drawing you away. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Then sin brings forth death. And I think that probably um, it's safe to say that the reason why we flirt with sin so much is because we don't see the immediate impact of it. We read verses like sin brings forth death, but we only think in terms of I'm going to die, like physical death. We don't think about the spiritual death and the severance that happens in a marriage when there is sin present. We don't think about the death of a relationship that happens with us and God when sin is present in our life. We only think of physical death, so we detach ourselves from the impacts and the ramifications of sin. The bottom line is we all face temptation. We all face temptation. 1 John 2 and 16 says that all that is in the world is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. There's only three types of temptation: lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But temptation, temptation is not enough to create an addiction, right? I can be tempted to do something, but that doesn't doesn't automatically create uh, an addiction. So the enemy will then employ persistence and compromise, which leads to our ultimate destruction. So you add temptation, something that you want, something that's pleasing to you, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be a substance. Um, Like Alan shared in the first gathering, a lot of times it's not necessarily a substance, it's a behavior. There are some of us that have an addiction to work 60, 70, 80 plus hours a week. We've our worth and value from that. I'm providing for my family. If I don't do it, who would do it? There's all this pressure to be, 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 do, do, do. You have to carry it all, you have to be the provider. Right? And we, and we derive some sense of value to that. We attribute value to that and derive our worth from that instead of our worth from this. It's not just a substance, there are behaviors that happen. So the temptation may not be necessarily for sin, the temptation may lead to sin. But the enemy also employs persistence in the form of compromise, which leads to our ultimate destruction. Air Force general and commander of forces in, uh, for victories in Germany and Japan uh, in World War II describes persistence this way. Okay? This is a, a, a war general. He fought in World War II, led victories uh, in the Air Force over Germany and over Japan. And this is what he wrote about persistence. Give the enemy time to recuperate and your efforts are wasted. Relentless engagement crushes an enemy's morale and will to fight. Have you ever just felt like the enemy just keeps coming back over and over and over and over and over and over? Am I the only one that's sick of struggling with the same exact thing? How many times have you been right here and prayed, God, take it. I can't do this anymore. And 30 minutes later, you're like, I gotta go back to church. Are they still open? Jonathan Beatty has locked the doors. I gotta get in there. That's a real thing. I'll go to my car, come back, the doors are locked. I'm like, they are thorough, real thorough, (laughs) super thorough. But the point he's making is, that persistence is a tactic of war. And that's, that's, that's pretty much how the enemy operates every single day, every single day, every single day. In Matthew 4, Satan is persistent in his temptation of Jesus, right? Read Matthew 4, Jesus goes out, into the wilderness, he's fasting for 40 days. I don't know how to do that. Don't know how to do that. And what, is that, what, what happens? Satan tempts him with 1 John 2, 16. He says, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. He said, man, look, all you got to do is turn this stone into bread, right? Something that will please your body, something that will please your flesh. And Jesus says, no, it is written. It is written. He aligned his mind and his thoughts with what the Word said instead of aligning his mind with what his body wanted. You don't think, look, this is Jesus, okay? And I know he's the son of God, but he was a dude, okay? And he was like 30, okay? So I know how teenagers and and young adults eat. Jeremy and Eden have a pizza party and be mad. They ordered 40 pizzas. and everybody, It's gone. We had a men's bonfire, and the chili was gone in 30 minutes, and these are older men. I know Jesus was hungry. I know his flesh was hungry. But his mind, his mind was aligned with his spirit. So when the enemy came at him, he went back to where his mind was set at. No, 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 no. I know that's what I want, but it's written. But it's written. It's written. And what does the enemy do? Okay, you got me. I'm out. I'm out. No, he he goes back at him again. It says, Okay. Da, 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 da. Jesus says, It is written. He says, Okay, I'm done. I won't tempt you again. Then he goes back to him again. Another time. He's persistent in his pursuit of us. Concessions usually begin in small, insignificant ways, so it's easy to underestimate their potential for damage. These are not often major acts of disobedience when we compromise. For me, for me, <laughs> I didn't wake up and start using prescription pills again. For me, I started smoking cigarettes and rationalizing in my brain. I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, doing drugs or anything. I'm just smoking, right? I mean, I can go out with the fellas and have a couple beers. I mean, it's not like I'm using again, right? I mean, I can stay late a couple days after work. I mean, I know it's rated R, but I mean... It's probably only going to be some language in it, right? These aren't like major compromises that we make, but the problem is we keep pushing the boundary. We keep pushing the line a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. I just told you earlier, you don't wake up and cheat on your spouse. That happens a little bit like this. You get further and further and further and further. The temptations are just persistent askings to compromise, Compromise always leads to more compromise, and we must be aware of what the enemy is doing. How did Jesus overcome? He aligned his mind with his spirit. We got to be aware of what the enemy is doing. But I'm gonna tell you right now, me, Justin, I am no match for the powers of hell, okay? I'm no match in and of myself. And oftentimes, the temptation is not not necessarily to sin. The temptation is to try to take on the enemy in my own strength. It's because I know I'm in a fight, but I'm like, I got it. I can do this. I'm going to confess all known sin. I'm going to quote all the Bible verses. And guess what? I'm still right down here struggling with the same thing. There's got to be a better way. I know that he fights my battles for me. But oftentimes, I get out in the front of the battle and say, I've got this. Just because I know what's happening, just because I know what's happening, doesn't mean I'm now capable of stopping the assault. I know the enemy's trying to tempt me. A lot of times, when you're, a lot of times, it's not that we're ignorant of what's going on. It's that we rationalize that what's going on is not as bad as it seems. It's not as bad as it could be. I'm not where I used to be, right? I didn't cuss at that person. I only gave hand gestures. I'm <laughs> making progress. I'm only I'm making progress, right? So I have progressive sanctification, right? I'm still at work, still at work, Right? Right? But what we do is we rationalize these small, petty happenings. And then like Kevin uh, Kevin said last week, all that is is shaking the jar a little bit and a little bit more, a little bit more. And you'd be like, at least I didn't spill out on people until you do, until you do. But most of this takes place right here in my thought life. I find that you move in the direction of your thoughts. Right? The word says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When somebody is coming out of, out of an addiction, specifically like a drug addiction, or, or alcohol, or tobacco, or, so, or some type of substance that has a physiological effect. Because although the battle is typically here, it effect, its effects spill out into our lives, and they affect other people. And when somebody's coming out of that, they will tell you, I... Most people that are in addiction don't want to be in addiction. And, that, and, and oftentimes, people that use will tell you, I use to feel normal. Like, I don't use because, like, I'm just having some party life. I'm using because I have to. Now I'm dependent. Now there is a stronghold in my life. There's a stronghold in my life, and I don't want to be this way. And the hardest battle... It's to retrain and rewire your brain in the way that you think. Studies have shown that the more more someone uses pornography, the more often they're likely to do so. It creates new neural pathways in your brain. Brain science has shown that the use of pornography can create new channels in your brain. You can literally rewire your brain to be spring-loaded to sin. And if that's the case and God made us and designed us that way, then we can literally rewire our brains to be spring-loaded to the kingdom. The word says to set your mind on things above. And I've talked about this before, but this is so real. You have radio stations, you have TV settings, you have things that no matter where you go on the dial, you can be spring-loaded back to. I press that button and my mind goes back to it. My mind goes back to it. So what do we do? How do we we combat this? Because God didn't just leave us out here and be like, all right, figure it out, Dave. Okay? And oftentimes I'm like, okay, I see what the enemy's doing. Now what? I've got this, God. No. We have to repent. We have to repent. To repent means to change the way you think to change the way we think about sin, to change the way that we think about addiction. The enemy enemy may be trying to create strongholds in our mind, but the Word tells us in Psalm 31 that God is our rock and fortress. He is our tower defense. We have to align our thoughts with the Word of God. Do you know why Satan came to Eve in a temptation? I'll wait. First two chapters. You can read it long enough to not fall asleep to get to the first two chapters. Okay? It's two chapters. It's 22 minutes of Jeopardy. 22 minutes of Jeopardy, or you can read two chapters. You know why Satan came to Eve? Because Eve had secondhand information. God gave the instruction to Adam, and Eve got it from Adam. When you have secondhand information, when you come here and you rely on the pastors to give you the word and you're not in the word yourself, you're going to open yourself up. How am I going to live my life based on Fred Jones' testimony? How am I going to live my life based on what, who James Jensen says God is? How am I going to trust that Daniel's got the best biscuits and gravy based on what Kevin said? I've got to experience it for myself. I've got to know the word for myself. I've got to know what God says about who I am. I read you the tactic of what Sun Tzu said in The Art of War. If you don't know your enemy and you don't know yourself, then you're going to lose all of the battles. And just knowing my enemy doesn't help as well. Just knowing that temptation and persistence and compromise are tactics that he's using. Don't just help me. I need to know who God says I am so I know how to fight this battle. We got to change the way we think. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I can't can't see my Philistines coming at me. I can't see people coming around the bushes. James Jansen's not going to be at my house tomorrow to fight me. But there will be a battle waiting on me at 5 a.m. when I get up. It will be waiting on me. But 2 Corinthians says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know what happens to captives? They either get killed or they get questioned. And this is what God is saying to do with your thought life. If you recognize it being from the enemy, don't invite it in and entertain it for a little while and marinate on it. Kill it. Or when you get something that's kind of subtle, question it. Is that you, God? I'll give you a practical piece of advice. When somebody's saying something to you, don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't say the first thing that comes out of your mouth, man. It's a wonder I'm still married. It's a wonder I'm still married, man. For real. I say stuff. I will say some stuff, man. And especially being an out loud processor, I process my thoughts out loud in front of people. And my wife struggles with that because I'll give her a half processed thought and she'll respond fully to that half processed thought and then we're and then and then i'm short circuit because now i'm like well now you got multiple thoughts so just don't say the first thing comes out of your mouth for real take that thought captain be like hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on should i kill this thought or should i question it where you come from this takes time let me tell you guys something right This is a daily walk. This is progressive sanctification. God is doing something on this earth, in this battle, through our struggle. If God didn't care about the here and now, the moment I got saved, gone. But I didn't. The moment I got saved, complete freedom, no more struggles ever again. But that's not the case. I'm driving the bus, opening the doors, inviting everybody on. Right back down at the altar. And God is saying, son, if you will align your mind with the word, you won't have to fight as many battles as you, as, you have, as you do now. I was sharing with Kurt, Kurt Bryson, yesterday morning. I was like, man, I feel like I'm getting, I'm just getting beat down, man. The enemy's coming at my mind, and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm failing, and, and I got to bring a word. And then God's like, what makes you think that you've, like, your, your merit or anything you've done makes you qualified to bring a word? And Kurt gave me some practical advice. He said, you know what? i talk to the enemy. i tell him, okay, you got me. You got me. But no matter how many times you get me, I'm always going back to the cross. No matter how many times I stumble, I'm always going back to the cross. So you can keep playing your little games, and I'm going to keep getting back up, and I'm going to keep walking forward. Because no matter how far I go on the dial, my mind is going to be set on things that are above and not set on things of the earth. We have to be a people that think with kingdom lenses. This is where the battle is. For some of us, it plays out in drug addiction. For some of us, it's alcohol. For some of us, it's food or sex or or our image or perception or work. Those are just the symptoms of the bigger issue, and the enemy wants to keep us locked down. Recovery is not a 30-day rehab. I laugh when somebody's like, man, I want treatment for 30 days. I'm like, how long you been smoking weed? 40 years, 20 years? And 30 days is going to get you out of it? 30 days, 30 days. They ought to shut them all down right now. Make it two years minimum, mandatory. You fill a drug test, two years rehab right now. For real. (laughs) How long did it take you to get into this mess? I went to a program for, uh, called Renew Life Ministries. I'm about to wrap it up. I went to a program called Renew Life Ministries Outreach. It was a 12-month and 12 um, month program. And, um, and I used to be embarrassed. I used to be embarrassed to say I went to a, a drug program. I was. And I would try to church it up. I'm serious. Look, people would say, what was the name of that rehab? You went to I was like, not rehab, man. It was a one-year discipleship program for men with life-controlling problems. <laughs> S- swear, swear. And, and they would be like, aren't, aren't prescription pills like a life? Isn't that a drug? I was like, yeah, but it's like a life controlling problem, okay? <laughs> I did it's a one year discipleship program. Swear, swear. I was embarrassed, man. I was embarrassed that my life was a mess. I was embarrassed. Like, I'd come in here and I was embarrassed for my mom. You know what I mean? Because people heard my story because she'd tell everybody, you know. <laughs> you know, she would. She'd be like, is in jail again, you know? And I'm like, shut up. Tell everybody. Like, because I'm going to eventually come to church, right? And they'd be like, oh, there he goes, right? And then eventually, you'll have to give addiction sermons because they'll know <laughs> that, you, that you've been screwing up your whole life, right? For real. So I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed, man. And then... Um, uh. To tell people that, man. And then something changed. I, I shared my testimony, um, a few, a few weeks back and about how, how I had got to the top of the mountain. Everybody was like, we're proud of you. And then I said, I got this, God. Thank you so much. This is my bus stop. I know where I'm at. I got it from here. And it was a literally like six months later, my whole life was destroyed. Like I thought my marriage was going to end. I was using again. Um, everything just spiraled down, but it was one compromise at a time. It was one compromise little step at a time. And, and it wasn't until I changed the way that I thought that I changed the way that I lived. It wasn't until I changed the way I thought about sin, the way that I thought about what the enemy was trying to do to me, the way that I thought about what God had done for me, the freedom that I have available, and that I kept going back and choosing my chains, choosing my chains. But it's amazing. Then after, after, after Bethel I went to Bethel Colony of Mercy. When I come home, I was a completely different person. And I was, it was, wasn't aiming at rehab you went to? I'll tell you, man, it was Renewed Life Ministries. And I was a, a mess. But I was a mess here more than anything. And the reason why I said 30-day rehabs are pointless is because this takes time. This takes time. I loved being in Renewed Life for a year. Well, I didn't love being there for a year. But... But here's what happens when you're, when you're in a place like that, you have to be intentional about what you're thinking about. You are allowed to have bad days and not go back to what you knew before. Some of us need a bad day without choosing our chains. Some of us need a bad day and say, God, I want to do that, but I'm going to align my mind. With your spirit. I don't feel like it. I feel like cussing that lady out. but I'm not going to do it. This is a walk day by day. And just as you can walk step by step toward destruction, you can walk step by step toward the kingdom. You can walk step by step to freedom. You don't have to have cannons come and blow up the stronghold. You just start taking bricks down. You just start taking bricks down. The next time he's persistent in that attack, the next time he comes at you with that same daggum thing, you say, Not today. Not today. I can't tell y'all, I can't stand up here and tell y'all that I'll never use ever again, but what I can tell you is, it won't be today. It won't be today. And guess what? Tomorrow, it won't be today. It won't be today. The battle. It's for our minds. Worst team, you come on out. Y'all are over there waiting patiently. they' just mics back like this. <laughs> the only one's not is Brittany because she's pregnant. She's like, I don't care. We can go, we can stay, whatever we want to do. <laughs> real? I ain't, I ain't lying. I ain't lying. So, what do you want to do? Okay? Rob, go ahead and give me something silky, smooth, quick. You're going to get it? Watch. Go get it. <laughs> So um, so what's helped me the most, not just changing the way I think, but people being there to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help walk with you and I'm gonna remind you when your thoughts get sideways. Because I can tell. You can tell when somebody's not thinking right because you see what's going on in their life. You can tell when somebody's got something going on. You ever look at somebody and you're like, they are so heavy right now. And they sit and smile and say, no, man, everything's good. There's so much that goes on in here that has got to come out of here. You can't keep carrying it. Because the enemy just wants you to keep compromising by saying, no, I'll deal with it. No, I can carry it. No, I can handle it. Some of us are in worse battles than others. Some of us got loved ones who are in worse battles. Some of you are like my mom. that has got people that are still in active addiction right now. Some of you may be in active addiction right now. God has freedom for us, and it's going to be a day-by-day process. And I commit right now to walk step-by-step with you. The leaders in this church, we're not going to say, all right, we're going to pray for you. Now go deal with it. We're here to walk with you day by day, step by step, and allow you to have bad days without going back to the way you used to think. So if I can get some elders to, uh, and staff to come down here and pray with people. If you need prayer this morning, if you say, Justin, my thought life, I, I struggle. I struggle with my thought life. I may not be necessarily in addiction, but I struggle with my thoughts. I struggle with sharing my thoughts with people. I struggle with sharing my thoughts with my spouse. I struggle with sharing my thoughts with God and and being real about what's really going on in my life. Then the altar is open. And if you need freedom from bondage, we're here to pray with you. But more importantly, we're here to walk with you every step of the way.